So all this month we have been going through the book of James. Uh, as I've said before, it's one of my favorites because it teaches us, teaches us about a faith that works. It's faith that is active and alive. And as we wrap up this letter, we're going to focus on the concept of prayer as part of an active faith life. Now, prayer is probably one of those things that is really misunderstood. I mean, if you talk to someone who isn't uh, a believer in God, then they might assume we're kind of talking to ourselves, or at least not really understand why we're doing it, because, you know, what's the power of prayer if you don't have a belief in what's behind it? And then, that's for those outside the church. For those of us inside the church, we're also not always the best at understanding prayer. Prayer is one of those things that we sometimes treat like a Santa letter. You know, we ask God for all of the things we want and say amen, almost as if to say, God, thanks for hearing my uh, requests. Please fulfill them. And we should be asking ourselves, if that's the way we're praying, is that really scripturally sound? Is it that God wants us just to ask for all of the things that we want? Now that part is. We're definitely supposed to ask for the things that we want and need in life. Um, ask and ye shall receive is one of those really quoted lines all over the place. That's, that's definitely scriptural. But is asking for everything we want and getting it like Santa? Well, I would say no. And then... There's that whole thing about praying, and what's really fun about prayer. So if I asked uh, in this group if someone would stand up right now and pray, there would probably be a little bit of reluctance. That's okay, you know, y'all are lay people, it's fine. What's really fun, if I, this was all a gathering of clergy folks, and we said, would someone be willing to pray for us? Everybody would be like, oh, don't call on me. Even among the clergy, we're all a little bit reluctant to stand up and pray. Maybe it's because we're just afraid we're not going to pray the right way, or we're going to not know what to say, or maybe we're just uncomfortable doing public speaking, which may sound weird for people who do public speaking for a living, but it happens. There's this idea that we can pray the wrong way. And maybe that's the biggest misconception about prayer. I remember I used to tell my youth group all the time, all you have to do is just talk to God. Because all you have to do is say, Dear God, be with us tonight. Help us to have a good youth group. Amen. That's a prayer. What do you want to happen tonight? What would you like to see God do tonight? That's all you have to say. And... It sounds simple, but we struggle with that idea of praying and what is the right way and wrong way to pray. Actually, I, I can also remember distinctly the sermon series when I was uh, probably in middle school. My pastor at home taught a whole entire sermon series on how we pray, and he went over this five-step method of how to pray, and he told us each one of these things, which I can't list for you anymore, but I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I have the formula now, except when I tried to live that formula, my prayer didn't really feel normal. It was too much of a in-a-box, 
And it didn't work for me. And so even then, when I had a formula and I knew exactly the right things to say, I still struggled to pray because prayer is also hard. It's one of these things that we do in church that is maybe one of the more difficult things, even as it is incredibly simple. And that's why we're talking about it tonight. Because we're talking about an active faith life that works. And it's also what James dedicated this last little section of the book, uh, of his letter, to the people. He wanted to instruct them of how to turn to God and back to the wisdom of God. He was instructing them on how and when we should pray and how we turn ourselves to God. And really what he's trying to break down is this question for us. And ultimately, this is kind of what a lot of prayer gets at. It's this question that was supposed to be the title of the sermon. What am I supposed to do? A lot of our prayer is wrapped up in this. God, what am I supposed to do? I have this challenge. I have this need. I don't know where I'm going. God, I need your guidance. I need your direction. And what, God is remind, or what James is reminding us is that as we live an active life of faith, the most important thing for us to do is to actually turn to God and ask these things. To ask these important questions. To say to God, what am I supposed to do because I don't know. And turn to God and have conversation about that. To turn to God and say, God, I need your help to focus me. Help us to commune with God in prayer and in praise and song and confession. That's what James says the things we should do. It's the things he specifically listed out, all of the ways we turn to God and connect with God. All of these can be forms of prayer. And it's also just a very practical thing. Because ultimately, prayer is a way we exercise our faith in an active way, as a way of having living hope. Because prayer is the, act, is the act of actively hoping. God, I need direction for what I'm going to do after college. In that question, there's a hope that God is going to help you find the answer to what is next what I should do, where I should be going. And so then it becomes hope is then, faith is then hope lived out. So an active faith is prayerful. And that's living out in hope. Now, hope can be one of those weird things we talk about in church as well, because we talk a lot about it a lot. Let's hope. Let's have hope. And it's easy to say, I have hope in this, but what are we doing when we say that? How do we find hope? How do we get it? And the truth is, if we're looking at where James was writing at the time, it was kind of elusive for those folks as well. Remember, James' community is now a good bit of time past Jesus. They've begun to live into this new faith thing, but they've also had this promise that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming back soon. And yet, as the years and decades begin to pass by, they find themselves saying, 
Okay, so we, we're told it was soon. How do you define soon? Because I thought soon was a while ago, but not yet. We're still waiting for Jesus to return, and we're still waiting for that inbreaking of God's kingdom here and now, right now, fully and completely. And the truth is, we're still waiting. All of those things that were promised, the fulfillment of God's kingdom here on earth, hasn't yet come. And so hope can be elusive for us as well. And yet, hope is probably one of the most important parts of Christian faith. To be a person of faith is to hope. To be a prayer, to be a prayer is, a is to be a person who is hoping. Sometimes we think of uh, this as being collapsed into the idea of hoping for an afterlife, hoping for uh, those things that are yet to come, that are far away, for the big kingdom change. But it also should be seen as a hope for change in today's world. But we don't expect magic solutions, do we? Do you expect tomorrow to walk out and there be food for absolutely everyone in the world? Everyone has enough? Well, I would love for that to happen. I don't know how that would happen. Sudden divine interventions don't seem quite as part of our regular life, and so we still are looking for that hope. In fact, when we take a look at the world around us, it's easy for that to become depressing. This last week was a great example of that. This last week was not the best week for humanity, um, at least certainly not for the United States. Where do we find hope when we look out and we see so many things that are the exact opposite of what God wants for us? Well, the hope that we hold on to is actually this defiant, uh, defiant expectation that we're going to go out and we're going to pray as a way of hoping. We're going to pray for change, and in that we're going to be engage, engaging in life-changing work, and that work will bear fruit. It'll bear fruit in us, and it'll bear fruit in others. That's where we hold on to hope from. It's praying together in community. I was scrolling through my Facebook feed towards the end of this week, and um, what I found is a very, we'll say, open look at the world. I think, and this is setting aside any political leanings or any of the, 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 um, the struggles that are happening on Capitol Hill right now, I saw people on all kinds of sides and no sides at all hurting this week. 
I saw people struggling to find hope. I saw people knowing that the world is a very ugly place sometimes. This week culminated in a lot of reeling by Thursday. And I don't know how much of this is something that we need to start exposing some of our deeper inner turmoil that we've covered up even ever so lightly, but it, it culminated at this hearing on Thursday, and there was this feeling that we were broken. I posted on Friday that a friend of mine mentioned it felt like we're in a cold civil war. And it feels that way. We feel broken. I think there's a lot of folks, when you look at Capitol Hill, you don't feel a lot of hope. Again, regardless of what side you happen to be on. And so we find ourselves asking this question that I kind of led this evening with. What are we supposed to do? God, what are we supposed to do with this mess? James, in his final words of his book, points us towards what we should do. We pray. Not in the expectation of, of magical events that will happen, but because we believe. And because praying is hope. Praying is actively hoping. And transformation happens when we turn back to the one who is the author and source of all hope. There's a 5th century Talmud uh, story that records about righteous Elijah and the power of prayer. The story says that Elijah would frequently visit a certain rabbi. One day that rabbi waited, but Elijah did not come. The next day, when Elijah did arrive, the rabbi asked him, Why didn't you come? Elijah replied, I had to wake up Abraham, wash his hands, wait while he prayed, and then make him lie down again. Likewise, I had to wake up Isaac and Jacob, wash their hands, wait until they prayed, and make them lie down again, each in his turn. But why didn't you waken, awaken them all at the same time? Oh no, Elijah replied, I know that if they prayed together, their prayers would be so powerful that they would bring the Messiah before his time. The Talmud story and our text in James both press us to know that the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. This remains true for us. Prayer is powerful and effective, not in some magic incantation, say the right words and it'll happen way, but in the way it brings us together, in the way prayer creates and builds community. Another story I have uh, comes uh, from a congregation in what's probably one of the more common situations that a church finds themselves in. Uh, the people are gathered around a sick bed. The church organist was suffering from a heart condition that had been diagnosed as likely fatal. And as she lay unconscious, the pastors and church leaders gathered together and prayed. 
But it wasn't just them. Many others came and went, individuals in small groups as each was able. They would pray and sing and talk. One group of Indonesian members who also worked in healthcare bathed the organist's body and freshened her up with sweet-smelling perfumes. Another group of members gathered in the waiting room and, led by one of the clergy, held an impromptu healing service. And one day, having been unconscious for most of the visits, she wakes up, begins to recover, and eventually is able to go home. Now, I can't tell you today how much of the praying is what made her recovery possible. I can't say that it wasn't the doctors and the medicine that was working on her. But I can say that prayer worked. And not just because she recovered, but because she brought them together. She brought them into community with one another. And that's what prayer really should be doing for us. It's why we share our joys and concerns in here every time we have a service. Is because it's important to be in prayer with and for one another. It brings us together so that we can find hope together. It helps us grow together. It shapes us and shapes the community. Prayer is this powerful thing. It connects us to one another and to the creator of all things. It allows us to ask for the things we'd like to see changed in ourselves and in the world, and it opens us up to that change. And that's why prayer is an act of actively hoping. And so when the question of what are we supposed to do comes up, when weeks like this past week happens, we turn to God in prayer. Because our prayers become our hope. That what is right now will not always be. Amen.